morning our call to worship is from Psalm 40. Stand with us, we'll sing together. to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. who go astray after a lie. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer, O my God.
Please join me in prayer. <clears throat> Almighty and gracious God, you have called us out of our sin and wandering, out of our searching, into your covenant family to be your people and to worship you. And we come and worship this morning as we always do through the, the self-giving and the gracious invitation of your son, Christ. Make us aware, make us aware, Father, of your uh, abiding presence with us. And Lord, as Jesus taught us to pray, we pray that your, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that it would come in every heart and every nation, every corner of this aching world. And Father, deliver us from temptation, from the ways the enemy twists good desire to greed, to lust, to pervert power. And God, we pray that you would meet us wherever you find us this morning. Meet those of us who feel unfilled, who feel worn down by our work. Be our refuge. Give us faith to, to enter your sustaining rest, despite the, the noise and the volume of our to-do list, despite the pressures of performance at work and in our homes. Help us, God, to be loving neighbors. We pray all of this in the name of Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship, along with the junior high class. Well, we do turn now to our time of confession, a time where we acknowledge with God our, our sin and our need, and we seek his mercy. And we'll do this together as a, as a church, as a, as a community, and then have a time of personal, quiet confession. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, gracious Father, give us rest and help us to confess our need to you.
confess our sin we confess knowing that jesus who was rich in glory became poor for our sake um, so that in him alone we might become rich in mercy and grace and we give thanks in his name amen we'll stand together to hear the words of assurance that come to us from psalm 31 let's join together I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. You have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Well, as we've been welcomed by God into his family, let's also welcome each other in the name of Christ.
The Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He polished me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. The New Testament lesson is from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. 
Good morning. It's good to be here and worshiping with you and have a chance to look at God's word together. And uh, if you might note in your order that we're going to continue looking at passages uh, from the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew uh, during the season of Epiphany in which um, the church has historically saw this as a time to see that Jesus is the revelation of God, that if we want to know who God is, we look to Jesus. And this is a chance in our, our kind of sermon series to ask questions. Who is this Jesus and why has he come? And, and how is it that of knowing him that we can know ourselves? Uh, before we read our passage, though, I want to mention to you um, something I recently saw a story. Last week, if you were here, I mentioned some Levi jeans found in a mine that were made in the 1880s. Today, I want to mention to you the French baguette. <laughs> what comes to mind when you see a baguette? Would you see it on, you know, at the grocery store or on your table to enjoy? Well, a recent story said a slice of France, the baguette, is granted world heritage status by the United Nations. More than six billion baguettes are sold every year in France, saying it's more French than perhaps the Eiffel Tower. It's carried home by millions each day. Underarms are strapped to the back of bicycles. Well, I mentioned on... Recently, the United Nations named the baguette something worthy of human preservation, adding that it is part of the cultural heritage of the world. So maybe you didn't even know that such a list existed. I, I did not. But France submitted over 200 endorsements for the bid, and one of the testimonies for the baguette came from a baker, and she wrote a poem. I am here, warm, light, magical, under your arm or in your basket, let me give rhythm to your day of idleness or work. And the French president added that the baguette is 250 grams of magic for our daily life. <laughs> so I ask again, what do you see when you see a French baguette? Do you see bread? Do you see something more? Do you see something magical? I ask that and I share that story because it's a chance again, maybe in kind of a, a funny or interesting way to think about what do we see when we look at certain items? If Epiphany is all about identification, all about kind of recognizing things, all about discovering things, what do we see when we see certain things? Whether it's an old pair of jeans or whether it's bread. Of course, during this time of the church, it's not us identifying bread or jeans or other things, but we're being invited to discover or to learn the identity or to think again about a person, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the bread of life. You guys see that connection? He's the bread of life. But we'll look this morning, we'll ask these questions about his identity, but specifically in Matthew 4, that after Jesus was baptized and before he began his public ministry, he went for 40 days into the wilderness. And in those 40 days, he encountered what our passage describes as the devil or the tempter who tested Jesus. And so as we look at that passage, it's a chance again for us to ask, who is this and why has he come? So let's look at our passage. This is in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. You can follow in your order or in your Bible. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. 
Well, this is God's word, and it's given for our good. Well, as we just read, our passage opens by telling us that then, following Jesus' baptism, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it's helpful for us just to accept again, then, after Jesus was baptized, after he was anointed by the Spirit, after he was publicly declared by a voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son, after all that, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And today, as we look at this and, kind of, and think about who Jesus is, I want to ask two questions. One is, why the wilderness? And what does it mean that Jesus was tested? So why the wilderness? And, and what does it mean that Jesus was tested? And hopefully asking these will help us to better see and identify Jesus. So let's start with this first one. Why, why the wilderness? And this is a chance for us to you know, think for a moment what comes to mind when you hear the word wilderness. Maybe it's some kind of desert landscape or a, a dense forest, some kind of exotic location. But whatever kind of landscape we bring to mind or kind of imagine or, or think about ourselves being in, wilderness almost always means that there's not that many people around. There's not too many people besides yourself. It's an uninhabited space. It's an empty place. And therefore, scripture, it's, wilderness is a location, but wilderness takes on a, a symbolic meaning in the Bible. First, it is the place where we feel our limits where we feel the limits of our production, the limits of our control. And we see this here where Jesus fasts, but it's a place that there was not food readily available to him. And so as part of these limits, as part of this lack of control, the wilderness is a place that we often experience or is regarded as a place of danger, a place of exposure, a place of uncertainty. The second thing that wilderness is in a symbolic way is it's a place of loneliness. Some scholars cite that the Hebrew word for wilderness is related to the Hebrew term for word. That wilderness in Hebrew is actually a negation of the Hebrew term for word. So wilderness can literally mean the wordless place or the place where there are no words. And if you're like me, at times we might really clamor for such a place of quiet and peace, and we need that at times. But to go in the wilderness in this sense, so that the symbolic meaning in the scripture was that in this barrenness of a, of a wordless place, there is this kind of frightening whisper around us that you are alone, that you're on your own. Therefore, it's not a place of connection or of knowing, but one of loneliness. And these symbolic aspects of the wilderness, exposure and lack of control, loneliness, it mark it in the scriptures as a place that's not the final destination, it's not where we're headed, but it's the place that we pass through on the way. It's the in-between place, the place of waiting, of, of where we find ourselves when we're not yet where we want to be or who we want to be. And this experience of wilderness journeying wilderness waiting connects deeply with the people of Israel. Maybe you recall that the people of Israel, after being freed from bondage in Egypt and after passing through the Red Sea, Israel is given the title that they're God's son. But then they go into the wilderness and they wander for 40 years. And in that wandering, in that place of waiting, they face their lack of provision, water and food. They, they face their lack of power to kind of make things as they expect. They face intense fears and they struggle to walk in faith. They, they consider, should we go back to the bondage that we knew in Egypt? Because you know, maybe that's better. They struggle to figure out what does it mean to trust God? And these questions swirling, will, will God provide for me? Will God protect me when I feel exposed? Will God lead me in a good way? And so we ask why the wilderness? And what I, I hope we can see in our passage is that as the Spirit leads Jesus 
into the wilderness. As the Spirit leads Jesus, the declared Son of God, into the wilderness, he is reenacting Israel's story. He's going forth as our representative. He's entering into all of these questions and fears and experiences of the wilderness. My son Owen is in the sixth grade, but back when he was in kindergarten, I think it was some kind of you know, project they had at school, but he started making how-to books. And all the how-to books were the same. There was three steps. <clears throat> there was first, next, and last. I could give you a long list of humorous you know, books that he made, but one of them that I remember was how to pet a bunny. At that time, we had a pet bunny. First, you put your hand on the bunny. Next, you move your hand and rub the bunny. And last, you did it. <laughs> All the how-to books ended the same way. You did it. So very, very uplifting and encouraging books. Who knew it was so easy, right? Um, I did mention to him that I was going to say that story. So he's, he was OK with it. Um, <clears throat> how-to. And I mentioned that as a way to think about how at least myself and maybe you often approach this passage that, look, Jesus is you know, showing a how-to and how we overcome temptations. Or he, here's just a model for how we're supposed to handle things. And of, and of course, there's much that we can learn in our passage about facing tests or temptations. But I, I want us to see that that's not the center. Our, the center of our passage is not a how-to. The center of our passage is Jesus, the Son of God come to face the evil one, the liar, on our behalf. To walk into the wilderness and face what it is to be a human being. To face the deceiver and to walk in faith where all else, all others have failed. See, Jesus is reenacting the story of Israel, those who longed to go back to Egypt or they wandered. He's reenacting it in faith he's reenacting your story and my story. He's joining us in the very place of the wilderness. He's joining us in our loneliness, in our exposure, our fear, our uncertainty, and this, this kind of deep fundamental question, am I on my own? Am I on my own? So that's why Jesus goes into the wilderness. And that's the first question. We ask the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We asked why the wilderness, and the, the second question that helped us see Jesus is, is what does it mean that he was tempted? Or another way to ask is, you know, what's being tested here? Well, the title throughout our passage, maybe you noticed the title given in, is that there's the devil. The devil's also called the tempter or Satan. And these titles carry the idea of one who accuses, one who deceives, one who is evil. And it's a chance maybe to think about you know, the primary way that the evil one seeks to mar and destroy life is through lies. That's the primary way that the evil one operates in your life and in mine, through lies. Seeking to interrupt our trust in God or tempting us to trust things that are not true or not trustworthy. And we see this similar approach here from the desert to the top of the temple, to the highest mountain, the evil one directs his temptations or his tests at the relationship of the father and to the son. If you're God's son, it's not so much that he's denying that Jesus is God's son, but I think that the evil one here is seeking to redefine or question that relationship. Does God really care? Can God's ways and provisions be trusted. Surely you need to look out for yourself. Those things run throughout what's being spoken to Jesus. If we look at the temptations, we can see, you know, first, you need to provide for yourself. Second, you, you need to, to make God act. Do you see this? You need to do something to kind of get God acting. You could, you know, make God show up. And the last thing is you need to grab success or you need to grab the good life for yourself. And how does Jesus respond to these tests, to these temptations? 
well, again, it, as part of him identifying with Israel and, and their wilderness experience, he responds by remembering and restating lines from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. He pulls out of that experience of Israel to speak truth. His first response, he cites Moses when Moses was telling how God was allowing his son Israel to experience a hunger that they could not satisfy themselves. Because of the limits that they had, the limits around them, they couldn't meet their own hunger. And God then acts to alleviate the hunger by giving them manna, bread from heaven, to teach them that in all circumstances that they can depend on and trust God their Father. And so Jesus is reminding himself and us that our hunger reminds us that we that what we need or what we long for is not just bread or our productivity, but ultimately for God. Our hunger is for that very purpose, to remind us of our need for God. Having failed in this endeavor to get Jesus to doubt God and provide for himself, the devil then takes him up to Jerusalem and to the pinnacle of the temple, and he quotes from Psalm 91 to persuade Jesus to, to cast himself down. And I think what we can see here is he's, he's inviting Jesus to kind of take control of what's happening. Make God act. Make God show up right now. In the first test, Jesus affirms his trust that God will meet his needs, will care for him. And this confession of faith becomes the basis of the second statement. You shall not trust, you not test, you shall not test the Lord your God. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm not the one in control, I'm not the one who makes God act. And in the third and final test, the deceiver takes Jesus to a very high mountain to show him all the kingdoms of the world. And here the evil one boldly says, forget your heavenly father. Forget the way and the path that he has for you. If you give yourself to me and my ways, you can have everything you long for. You can put away your longings and you can have all that the world has to offer. The author Chuck DeGroat writes that one of the ways that we deal with the wilderness our limits and our fears and the uncertainty of this life is by longing to be free from longings. That we have in our mind that somehow we can long and we can arrive at a place that we no longer feel the longings inside of us. And to do that, we have to shut ourselves off to avoid certain people, avoid certain hurts, experiences. We have to even deny our own limitations or fragile natures. I think hearing that idea to, to long for the end of longing or to long for being freed from our longings helps us understand what this actual last test is about. Why would Jesus bow down to Satan? Rather, what he's being told is you can put away the longings that you feel. He's being offered this promise. You can put away the longings that you have and you can have all that the world offers can have all the things that make a good life. Jesus' answer is grounded again in Deuteronomy by telling him that you shall worship the Lord your God, him only shall you serve. Can God's ways be trusted? Can God be trusted to care for my longings? Can God's answers be the things that are worth pursuing? In a unique way, this final temptation for Jesus to be the son is a temptation around how the son is supposed to live and to act. Remember that question, who is this? And, and, and why did he come? This is a temptation to ask, can, can Jesus receive the glory and the life and the name above all names that the son of God receives? Can he do it without being what the scripture calls the servant of God? Jesus, can you grasp the things that are good and glorious without being a servant, without being the one Isaiah calls the servant who will identify with his people, who will carry their wounds, who will bear their sin, 
and even their death. Can you have the glory without being the servant? Can you have what you long for without bearing the longings? It's like when Jesus is on the cross, much later in the Gospel of Matthew, you might recall that he's hanging there at the cross. There's many people around because it's in a public space. And some of the religious leaders, they mock him and they say to him, if you are the son of God, then come down. If you're the son of God, if you're really who you say you are, come down. This is the same temptation that's being offered to him right now by the evil one. There's a way to find life and glory with God without the suffering and the servanthood. Come down off the cross. And throughout his life and ministry, Jesus meets the tempter in the invitation to find life apart from God's ways and plans for him. Yet he stands in our place. The one who goes into the wilderness is the one who stands in the place of God's people, standing in the place of those who have failed, who have heard and believed the lies. He enters and receives and bears our longings. See, when Jesus refuses the way of the tempter, he is embracing the way of the cross. He's embracing his central vocation of serving you and me, sinners. As we close, we can maybe have a final thought for ourselves that these temptations that Jesus experiences, what does it mean for him to be tested? I want us to see that Jesus, our representative, is a man of faith. And what I mean by that is he is entrusting his care his longings, his protection, his future to God and to God's ways. When he's reenacting our story, he's not just saying no to the evil one and to the deceiver. He's saying yes to God. And therefore, we get a picture even of our own Christian life. It's not just saying no to lies, but yes to the provision and the care of God that we are not alone, but with him. This is the good news of the gospel. When you and I are tempted, it's not just to commit a sin or two, but at the heart of it is this wrestling. Is my life up to me? Am I on my own? Or do I have a good heavenly father who sees me and knows me and cares for me? We're invited in the wilderness to remember this truth that just as Jesus was called the beloved Son of God, that we who have faith in Christ, the one who serves us, we too can remember the words that God speaks over us. You are my child. Beloved, you are my child, and I am with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you are faithful, that part of you coming to us was even entering into the lonely places the broken and sorrowful places, the uncertain ones. And so we thank you, Lord, that you did so because of great love for us. Help us, Lord, to walk in that faith and the knowledge of your provision and care. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we respond with singing?
raised up Christ to rule over all creation, giving him the name which is above all other names. We praise you that lifted and empowered Jesus lives and reigns forever in your glory and so fulfills his promise to be with us always to the end of time. It is good and right for us to join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. This table is a reminder, it is a provision in the midst of the wilderness. All of us in our life experience times of the wilderness, of loneliness, of exposure, of feeling the lack of our control. Sometimes it's for a short time and sometimes it's for a very long season. And this table is a witness and a reminder that why the wilderness, that word might mean place without words, that we're not alone, and that there are truths being spoken to us. This table tells us that God pursued us in his great love to welcome us into his family, and so therefore we come and we gather at this table, not alone, but with others, with brothers and sisters in the faith. But we gather around the table that's been set for us by our gracious Savior. Our place is not because of navigating things rightly or the handling things all the right way, but it's because of God's gracious love for us in Christ, his broken body and shed blood, that through his servanthood, we have a place in God's family 
downhill. This is the good news, and let it be a witness to us in our wilderness, in our loneliness, in our feelings of being out of control. If you are a follower of Christ, then this table is an encouragement and nourishment to you. If you're not yet a follower, this table can be a witness, an invitation to come to hear the words that are spoken even in the barrenness of places. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table. Thank you, Lord, that you have pursued us, invited us to your family. We thank you for the good news that in, here at this table, we do not bring our own provisions or have to provide for ourselves, but that you have cared for us and provided for us in Christ. Therefore, our sins are forgiven, that our shame is chased away, that we're given names of sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. And so we give you thanks. And we pray that your spirit would meet us and nourish us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. Saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to come down the center aisle to receive the bread and the cup. And you can go back on the sides. And if you're able, I invite you to hold the elements until everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not taking communion today, still invite you to come forward. We're glad that you're here. And you just put your arm across your chest receive a bl blessing from Pastor Brian or myself. We'd love to offer that blessing for you here at the table. Let us now come and receive this gifts of, of God.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table that God has given to us, let's stand that we can pray and sing as God's people. Jesus, our Lord, we remember your incarnation and holy life, your death and glorious resurrection and your ascension and continual intercession for us. Help us by your spirit to faithfully await your coming again in power as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has join together in the prayer that our Lord's taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going to continue our worship through the giving of our gifts and offering in response to God's generosity. So I want to invite the, uh, the greeters to come forward. There's a, a gray basket for your communion cup, and then there's a silver offering plate for your, your gift. You can also, you'll see in your order, you can give through the church's website or by text if you'd like uh, to do so. I uh, just want to take a moment again to say welcome, especially if you're visiting with us today or just started coming. That We're really glad that you've uh, joined us and worshiped with us. Uh, a couple notes that if you would like to... Um, receive the church's uh, weekly email or, or learn more about the church and share your information. There's a, a QR code in the order. You can just take a picture and fill it out online, or there are uh, papers in the back, too. You can fill one out and just drop it in the, the basket back there. I'd love to follow up and share more about the church. Also, after the service, there is a time of bagels and coffee uh, in the Waters Cafeteria. Not, not the old one, but the new one. <laughs> uh, if you go out these back doors and turn left, you'll see glass doors can go out, turn left, and you'll you can and help yourself to coffee, bagels, and a chance to, to spend time with each other after the service. Uh, the last thing, just to remind you, is I mentioned the beginning of the service, but there's announcements in the back of this. Uh, I want to mention, especially there's the Wednesday night Bible study and discussion that's happening this Wednesday, the 18th, so at 7 o'clock, everyone's invited. And then also on Saturday, there's the first women's prayer uh, gathering that's at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. Both of those are at the community space. Let's continue uh, giving our gifts uh, to the work of God. Let's rise for the singing of our doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Yeah. 
Secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Receive God's blessing. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be found blameless at the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Amen. May go in peace. One, two, three, four.